now we're back as we finish, and we're going into one of the most famous chapters in all of the New Testament, Hebrews 11, which is all about faith. It's probably the greatest chapter on faith, and we're going to be spending the next three weeks looking at what it means to live a life of faith. So this is Hebrews 11, 1 through 7, which can be found on the inside of your bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And though, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. <coughs> by faith, Noah, being warmed by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, it's NFL Playoffs Sunday. I don't know about you, but this is an exciting time for me. And hope always springs eternal, doesn't it? That your team is going to go ahead and make it all the way to the end. Do we have any New Orleans Saints fans here in the crowd today. Very quiet. Okay, I see one. How about any Detroit Lions fans? Oh no, your season's over. I'm so sorry about that. So sorry. Hope springs eternal. You know, hope is a funny thing, isn't it? We all have hopes and some of them become realized and some of them are dashed against the rocks. Who remembers the hope of love? The hope of first love. You fell in love with that special him or her, and you hoped that that love would be returned. And for some of us, it was, and some of us, it wasn't. You know, Proverbs says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Who hasn't played with that hope of success? You know, that big business deal that you've been chasing for over a year, that if it just could land our entire life, would be different, but they've just got to say yes, and it doesn't seem like it's coming around, that hope of success, that hope in our heart. You know, we have many hopes for our lives, some of which we don't even fully understand that reside in our heart. You know, one of my favorite stories as a kid was the story of Aladdin and the magic lamp. Remember that story where this poor vagabond and street urchin finds this lamp, and he goes ahead and rubs it and voila, here's an all-powerful genie that will give you whatever three wishes that you want. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could find a lamp like that? That we could just wish our hopes and they would automatically be realized. How different we would live if we had assurance that the deepest hopes of our lives would be fulfilled. I think that's why I love this passage. This passage on faith, because this passage helps to reveal to us two critical things about our life. Number one, what is the deepest hope of our heart? You know, all the hopes that we have in some ways are symptoms of the deepest hope of our heart. What is it? 
but it also reveals to us the more, most important thing, how do we receive it? How can we have assurance that the deepest hope of our heart will be fulfilled? So we're going to talk about this concept of faith. Because a life of faith is the answer to the deepest hope of our heart. I'll say it again. The life of faith is the answer to the deepest hope of our heart. We're going to look at three things because we always look at three things. I love three things. Number one, the hope of faith. We're going to talk about what is this deepest hope that resides in each one of our hearts. The hope of faith. And then we're going to talk about, number two, the object of our faith. What is this object of our faith that will give us the hope that we're looking for? And then finally, number three, the delight of our faith. What it means to delight in living the life of faith on this earth. So the hope of faith, the object of faith, and then the delight of faith. Number one, the hope of faith. But what really is faith? Look at verse 1. Pretty good definition here. Now, or explanation at least. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. <coughs> the conviction of things not seen. This word is interesting, assurance. In the Greek, we call it uh, hypostasis is the name of the word. And hypostasis literally means stasis, standing, hupo, under. <coughs> it means the standing under of our faith. We often use the word foundation to call it. So if I was going to have an assurance of my faith, a standing under something, I would stand upon something. And that would be the assurance or hypostasis of my faith. Now faith, the assurance of faith, standing under something. Now the question we have to ask is why do we need faith anyways? I mean, why do we need faith? We have everything that we need. But the reality is we don't because the things that we truly need in life are not accomplished by sight, are they? Think about it. Is anyone here starving? Very rare someone starves to death in America. We have clothing. We're reasonably warm. We have some relationships. In many ways, we have all the things that we need to exist in harmony with this universe. But it's not enough, is it? We need something more. See, that's how we're different from the animals. We need something more. We have a hope. A hope of something that isn't in this world. What is this hope that you and I are looking for? This hope. The Bible calls it glory. What you and I are looking for, actually, is glory. The glory of God. The word glory in Hebrew is the word kavod, which means weight or weightiness. There's a hope that we have in our heart of hearts that our life will have some sort of weight to God, some sort of merit, some sort of importance to Him. See, it's not enough to be well fed, not enough to be well clothed, to have a house. We need something more. What we need is glory. The word glory in the Greek, the word glory is used in the Old Testament and New Testament, is doxa. We say the doxology, or we will sing the doxology soon. Doxa means splendor. Splendor is what we're hoping for with God. That God will look at our life and He will find it to be beautiful. That is what we need. All of the other glories that we search for in this life, 
really are symptoms of the deeper glory. Think about this, all the accomplishments and the things that we work for. Aren't they in some ways pleased to the one who made us to notice us? God, look at what I've done. Have I, am I worthy to be in your sight? How about the love that we have for other people, the love for that other special someone? Is it not in some ways a veiled attempt to find the love that only comes from God? See, what we're looking for, my friends, is glory. And we can't find it here on this earth. How do I know that? Because if you look at all of the people out there who are rich and wealthy and successful and famous, they're as screwed up as we are, aren't they? I don't know, I read this thing recently, People Magazine on Kim Kardashian. 70 day wedding, are you kidding me? You couldn't make it more than 70 days? <coughs> Beauty, wealth, fame, but no glory. That is what we need. And the problem, my friends, is we can't find it here. The most scarcest resource on the planet Earth. It can't be found here. We need a foundation to get it. See, we need some way to get from here up to there. A foundation that will lift us up into the plane of God's glory. The question we have to ask is, what is the foundation that we choose? The problem is we get messages all day long telling us foundations to choose, don't we? It's going to be very interesting today as we watch the playoffs and the advertisers who have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to get in front of us. To tell us that if we buy their product, we will truly have all that we're looking for. They once asked Mary Kay about her product, cosmetics, and Mary Kay turned to them and said, I don't sell cosmetics, I sell hope. Hope of love. The cosmetics is just the piece. You see, the, the, what we're looking for is glory, the assurance that we can have it. But where can we find it? You know, it's a very dangerous thing to put all the weight of your hope onto something, isn't it? You can only do it when we have a conviction of things that are not seen. See the second part of that verse? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This word conviction in the uh, Greek language talks about evidence. It's having a sufficient body of evidence to convict. That we can trust that when we step on something, it's going to be able to hold the weight of our expectation. Maybe you've heard of this guy, his name was Jean-Francois Gravet, but to many people he was known as the Great Blondine. It was some time ago, in fact in the 1800s, when he was the most famous acrobat on the planet. The Great Blondine was famous for erecting a tight wire rope between different buildings, different canyons, and walking across it to the adulations of thousands of people. His most famous trick was stringing a wire between two ends of Niagara Falls, 1,100 feet across and 160 feet up, and walking across it while thousands, tens of thousands looked on. And the great Blondine was good. He could walk across blindfolded. He could walk across backward. He could even take a chair out to the middle of Niagara Falls and balance on it with one foot as everyone looked on. Well, one day while there was a large crowd, the great Blondine decided that he was going to take a wheelbarrow and wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. 
And so he turned to the crowd and he said, I bet you I can take a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. In fact, I bet you I can even put someone in it and go across Niagara Falls. Now, who thinks I can do it? And the crowd erupted. We believe you can do it, the great Blondine. We believe you. And so the great Blondine then said, who's willing to go with me? Nobody spoke. <laughs> Finally, it was Harry Colcord, the manager of the great Blondine, that said, I'll go. And of course, he got in the wheelbarrow, and the great Blondine took him all the way across and all the way back. You see, Colcord had the assurance of faith. Why? Because of the evidence that he had all of those times watching the great Blondine go across and never fail. See, here's the truth, my friends. All of us live by faith. We all put the weight of our life on something. The question is, what's your wheelbarrow? What are you counting on getting in to take you from here to there to receive the glory of God? Maybe for you it's financial security. I'm busy erecting for myself a tower, a great tower of Babel. If I have all of my act together, my financial portfolio in order, my stocks, my bonds, all of my things that I can build a strong enough tower to get high enough where God might notice me. But is there enough evidence that that foundation, if you put your life on it, will stand? How about this? Maybe it's this person that you're building your entire life around, this special someone, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, that person that meets you see in the lunch hall, whoever it is, that if I could have them and their adulation, if I could get in that wheelbarrow, that I could finally have a platform that lifts me up to the heavens. Is there enough evidence that that would be true to put the entire weight of your hope on that? The truth of the matter is we put the weight of our life on the most flimsy of things, don't we? Sometimes to disastrous results. We have to ask ourselves, what has suitable evidence to deliver on the promise of the glory of God? A life of faith is the only answer to the deepest hope of our heart. Well, I want to transition now into our second point. If I've gone through the definition of faith, the question is, what is a suitable object of our faith then, Carlos? Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. We see something very interesting because it says here, without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, the important thing about the universe is the pleasure of God. God is after His pleasure, my friends. Many of us being good Presbyterians know the first step, uh, the first point of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But what is the chief end of God? To glorify Himself and to enjoy Him self forever. See, God is a trinity, one God and three persons that have been glorifying themselves from all eternity. God has designed the universe all around himself. See, we often believe that God is designed to glorify us. In fact, we are the center of the solar system. 
But no, there is a Copernican revolution that has to occur when we realize that God is out for his own glory. God is designed for his God has designed the world for his pleasure. And it is only when we bring pleasure to him that he will see us and bring pleasure to us and his presence. See, what's the problem with the world? The problem is our world doesn't bring glory to God. All of the problems of our world, when we turn on the TV, when we look at our life, stem from the fact that we are more interested in glorifying ourselves than the one who made us. This was the fall of man. This was the great blondine going over the side of Niagara Falls. Consequently, it's impossible for us to please God because we don't live lives that bring pleasure to God. But here we see something unbelievable, something powerful, that there is a way to please God. How? By faith. By faith in someone or something that can draw us near to God. By faith in someone that can bridge this gap between the requirements for the pleasure of God and the failings of our lives. See, the gap has been bridged because now we have the ability to stand on the shoulders of a giant, to do what we didn't through someone else. We have the power to please God because God has given us a foundation that is not a something, but a some person. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect man, the one who always brought pleasure to God, the one who always put God in the center of his universe. But Jesus came not only to live a perfect life for himself, but a perfect life for all those who would trust in him. See, he came to be the foundation of the life of those who could not make it to God on their own. You know, it's an interesting thing about building buildings. Engineers will tell you the most important part of a building is the part that you can't see. It's the foundation. In fact, the taller you want to go, the deeper you have to build your foundation. I was reading some about the Toronto Space Needle. I don't know if anyone's ever been there in Seattle and see that iconic figure of the Seattle landscape. It was built in 1962 for the World's Fair. And at that time, the Space Needle, which is 600 feet high, was the tallest structure west of the Mississippi. Well, there are a host of engineering problems. How are we going to build this unbelievably <laughs> tall tower? Because we have these unbelievable winds had to be built to withstand 200 mile an hour winds and earthquakes all the way up to nine points on the Richter scale because of the ground below. And so what they did was they made this massive, massive hole in the ground. 30 feet down, 120 feet across. Took 467 concrete trucks, 24 hours, pouring, pouring, pouring. The largest concrete pour ever attempted. And the result was a foundation that weighs 5,850 tons. 250 tons of rebar alone. Now here's what's amazing. The needle structure above the ground only weighs 3,700 tons. There's more weight in the building underground than there is above it. The higher you want to go, the more you must build down. See, we want to build, bridge an impossible gap, don't we? The standard of perfection. 
But Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous or the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to understand us. He came into this world to stand under us, to be our foundation. See, the foundation was laid at the cross when the beams were put into place. And the foundation was opened up when the cave, when Christ was put in the cave under the ground, that we might be raised above it. See, it's Jesus' death and his sacrifice and the evidence of his resurrection that shows that he is the only one capable of sustaining the hopes of our lives. And so what is it that we must do, my friends? We must believe, not in ourselves, but rather in him. There's a time when some Jews came to Jesus and they asked him, what is the work that God requires? Jesus answered him. He said, the work of God is this, simply this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. The life of Christianity is the life of standing on the merits of another. By taking the glory of God in Jesus Christ, who he imparts to us by union with him that we receive by faith. What are you standing on? What is it that you're putting all the weight of your hope and your expectations on? Is there enough evidence that you can hold the weight of your life? It's only if you stand on Jesus Christ, for salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. It's only if we stand in Jesus that we can have the deepest hope of our heart satisfied. The pleasure of God. But we must live this life by faith. For though it is recognized in principle, it's not fully recognized in actuality, is it? You know, I've been a Christian for 20 years of my life. I think more than that, I've never seen God. And so we must live by faith. We must learn to delight in faith. It's my final point. The hope of faith, the object of faith, the delight of faith. Because we live in between the here and now and what is to come. We live in a time of expectant waiting. I said to you that if we truly had assurance of hope, that Aladdin's lamp, that our life would be different. Now, one of the things I love about this chapter, they call it Faith's Hall of Fame. Guys like you and me who lived by life and experienced the blessings of it in this world. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at Faith's Hall of Fame. But this passage talks about three particular men and three lessons that we can learn about living the life of faith. If you choose to live the life of faith, to put your weight on Jesus Christ, in this world, he gives you the ability to do three things. Number one, live wholeheartedly. I love this story of Cain and Abel. Remember Cain and Abel, this is verse four. The two sons of Adam, they came and they offered a sacrifice. And it says in verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. If you play back the tape, Abel was a, a, a herdsman, while Cain was a farmer. And they both bring these offerings to God in sacrifice. And God looks upon Abel's sacrifice and commends it. 
But he looks upon Cain's sacrifice and he does not commend it. He doesn't like it. The question is, what was the difference between the sacrifice? Well, Hebrew scholars have analyzed this a lot and they've pretty much the majority report is they've come to the conclusion that the difference was this, that Abel brought his best. The best of the flock Abel pulled out and he brought. While Cain brought kind of fair to Midland. See, Abel put it all out there with God while Cain held back, just in case, just in case. He didn't want to give the best of the best while Abel did. And God looked upon Abel's sacrifice with blessing and commendation by faith. And he looked upon Cain's not so. See, the question is for us, what are we willing, what are we able to give all of our life to? The best of our life. I think much of our life is looking for something that we can live wholeheartedly with. Reality is much of our life is lived half-heartedly, isn't it? We're half-hearted with our job, half-hearted with our dreams, half-hearted with our relationships, always kind of holding back a little bit, just in case. But we're looking for a reason to live, an assurance of hope that if we give all of our life to something, that it will be blessed. God, through Jesus Christ, gives us the ability to live wholeheartedly. It's been said that the antidote to exhaustion is not rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. It's the things you half-heartedly do that really wear you out. Faith gives us the ability to wholeheartedly give our life to God. And the truth of it, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're an 11-year-old doing your homework. Doesn't matter if you're a house cleaner, doesn't matter if you're a brain surgeon. When you give the best of your life to God, He commends you in this life and you experience His pleasure. Number two, to stop, faith gives us the ability to stop being a prisoner of the opinion of others. I love the verse Isaiah 2.22 where God says, Stop trusting in man who has but a breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he? But the reality is we are a prisoner of man, aren't we? A lot of the time. We're a prisoner of other people's expectations. What will my friends say if I do this? What will my spouse say if I do this? Will I be rejected by society if I choose to live this way? But God has given us a foundation in Jesus Christ so we can stand up to anything. Consider the case of Noah in verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. As far as we can tell, there was no water anywhere around Noah when God told him to build an ark that's like three quarters the size of the Queen Mary. It took Noah 55 years to 75 years, they think, to build this ark. Now can you imagine what the friends and neighbors and relatives of Noah were saying, you're crazy, you're wasting your life, you're, you're an idiot. But Noah was faithful, why? Because he had faith that God's way was best. And so he was able to stand up. See, faith in Christ gives you the ability to be free from being a prisoner to the opinions of others. Jesus gives you the power when your boyfriend or your girlfriend is pressuring you 
to be the person you know that God is calling you to be. Jesus gives you the power when your boss is coming down on you, forcing you to make decisions that you know you shouldn't be doing, to stand up, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Jesus gives you the power to stand up to a culture that does not recognize God. The final point I want to make is that by faith in Christ, we get the ability to simply be. Here's one of my favorite guys in the entire Bible. His name was Enoch. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, what do we know about Enoch? Absolutely nothing. It's only one verse about him in the Old Testament. All it says, Genesis 5.24, is that Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, because God had taken him away. But where's the city that Enoch built? Where's the army that Enoch mustered? Where's the battle that Enoch fought? Where's the temple that Enoch built? As far as we know, he didn't do anything. He was an ordinary guy. He simply decided that I'm going to put the weight of my life, the assurance of my hope, on this one called God. And he walked with God simply and quietly through this life. You know, the reality, my friends, is that we live ordinary lives. Very few of us are going to end up on ABC or NBC or CBS. Very few of us are going to be remembered for our titanic entrepreneurial achievements. Very few people are going to remember us when we're gone. But you see, our reward is not on this earth, but in the one who made us. And we can walk with him quietly, simply, day by day, enjoying the pleasure and honor of God. Because Jesus Christ is the foundation that has the ability to lift us from the depths of obscurity to the heights of glory. A life of faith is the answer to the deepest hope of your and my heart. I sure hope that you choose to live. Let's pray.